Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is a man you may know best as the only four-time Mountain West All-Academic honoree. He went from walk-on to number one player for his team while at the University of New Mexico. Of course, now we know him as the head coach of the Arizona women's tennis team. Welcome on to the show, Coach Ryan Stotland. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Alex. Greatly appreciate it. It is my pleasure to have you, and I have to ask from the start, because looking through so many of these coaches' backgrounds, so many of you, lifelong commitments to the game of college tennis, what is it about this sport that keeps bringing you back? Uh, Not only the sport, I think college itself is what brought brought me back, because I played on the tour, and I've coached on the tour, and um, it's just college tennis is something unique, there's something that provides such a pathway for people's lives, and you can be a part of it, and you can be part of a team in tennis, you know, it's one of the rare situations but it's one of the coolest events i think you can ever be a part of so that's why i keep i'm drawn to it Mm -hmm. well with all of that said obviously and i want to talk about your team here in 2021 you know you look at for last season how strange was that lack of fall how difficult was it you know i know it was the same for every team but how difficult was it for you guys to find that rhythm in january it's just it was difficult just to figure out the competition i mean some people you know we're used to competing as athletes over and over again and not getting that competition for such a long period because we weren't allowed to compete from basically once we shut it down in march until you know all the way till january so it was just hard because just getting back in the groove of it because it's just a different animal the adrenaline all that stuff i mean i once i finished playing and i went back and played you know i'm sore for 
a week myself and I was a pretty good player. So I, you know, it was just hard to get back in the groove of that and understanding like, Hey, this is, this is hard. And you, legs are heavy, no matter how hard you work out, things like that. So I think just getting back in the groove of the competition was one of the hardest for everyone. Mm-hmm. It had to have been nice this fall. I imagine just to be able to work with everyone at the normal rate. Oh yeah. Amazing. It felt so good. You know, you, you don't appreciate things until things get taken away. And once, once we got back, it was amazing. If you never had to Zoom conference with another member of your team, would you be fine with that? Uh, super happy. Zoom, uh, I'm over Zoom. I was over Zoom a long time ago. So, yes, I would love to uh, love to have normal meetings all the time. That would be fantastic. But it has made it convenient where I can do things like this. So, uh, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to everything. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, you know, again, I want to talk about the season you guys had. And you look on paper 13 and 12. I'm curious, you know, 11 and 4 at home last season. You guys had a ton of success, obviously, to start the year as well. When you look back at the season, you know, what growth did you see from your team throughout the year? I think we just learned to handle adversity. Uh, obviously, we only had six players all season. So that really made it tough. Just I, for myself as a coach, I had to learn how to balance and not overtrain not undertrain six people so that was an adjustment i've never had to make um so i think that was you know for myself it was adversity and handling that kind of situation where i know I usually have people to back up I mean, we had to play a match with five people like I'd, i've never had to do that before so it's just kind of like how to how to balance everything i think handling adversity and knowing like hey there's nobody to back you up here you're playing no matter what and you've got to be ready if there's any minor injury like if you can't play you're really hurting the team so let's figure out how to balance our our nutrition everything basically with only six so it's it's a different animal this year because we have seven new players but with only six players i think that was our biggest balance is just making sure we had enough to play every single week Mm-hmm. And I definitely want to talk about flipping the script towards this season, but you mentioned it there, and I was going to get to it, and I appreciate you setting up my question here. You played a freaking season with six players. Like, let's not sell that short what sort of an accomplishment and how impressive that is from your group. I'm curious, you know, because obviously finding the best pathway to develop these players throughout their time on campus is something every coach is always searching for. How revealing is it? You talk about that balance, but how revealing is it? You only have six players there, you know. Are there things you take away from a coaching perspective, not to nerd out too far, but like managing six players that you say, okay, this is good. This is probably something I should pick up moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, just like learning how to, in the, in the gym, learning how to kind of balance yourself and, and learning also, you know, as a younger coach, you always push him harder and harder and harder, and you learn the keys to balance a little bit. So I learned how to balance a little bit with keeping health and also um, just I think the one thing I also learned is that how great competition is on a team, like how much it can actually help you because if you know you have the spot, you don't have to, you know, your motivation can be limited. So keeping figuring out how to motivate one person even though they know they're playing and things like that and there's nobody else um i think i learned some tricks of the trade of how to keep a person as motivated as possible throughout the season and you learn um yeah you just learn you learn how to deal with each individual as a separate entity but also um like i said just just keeping in the gym and making sure nobody gets hurt because tennis is a tough game you play on cement and asphalt all the time and you're running constantly for three or four hours matches sometimes so i think i learned how to really um balance our our fitness and our uh, tennis with um staying healthy we talking monday yoga monday i didn't get yoga because once again that's like putting people in a in a group <laughs> at the sure same time so 
So I wish we, I mean, you had Zoom yoga stuff we could we set up and asked them to do, but like we couldn't do that kind of stuff. So once again, the balance of that too, and learning how to, yeah. how to separate somebody 10 feet from the next with a mask, talking to that person and just learning to communicate in a different way. I guess that was a big thing for myself is that I communicated through this. So, you know, how do you keep, how do you motivate somebody through a zoom call? Like it's, it's just a whole different ball game. It took me a while to adapt to it and learn like, Hey, this it's not going to be the same. You know, you can't say the raw raw speeches on here and yeah. people are super motivated You know, just hang up and then they're, <laughs> you know, then you're done. If there's one team member who is particularly, a, I don't want to say a nuisance, but we'll say a jokester on the team Zoom, you're bringing in, you're calling the eight together, the nine together, however many people hop on the Zoom. If you had the mute function, who would you mute? Oh, man. Um, no, I don't think we have. A, we, last year, our talk team wasn't as talkative. This year, sure. um, you know, I asked them to speak up. I want, I want to laugh. I think it's part of a big thing. So if they're a jokester, I would definitely... I mean, nobody's going to bomb our phone call, I don't think. But, um, but no, I, I want them to speak up. I want to laugh, too. I mean, life, life should be, you know, fun. So if they can make it fun, there, there'll be no mute button. I might comment on them, you know, give them back to them. Trash talking is always always key on my team. Yeah, no, that's good. All right, if you ever need an extra voice to trash talk, you now know where to find me. You have the email link to send out the Zoom. That's my specialty. But, you know, again, talking about, you know, the player, and you, you bring in seven new faces, obviously, this year, so certainly there's going to be acclimating so many uh, to campus. But, you know, again, for your returners in particular, talk to me about the growth you saw from them last season, in particular, the leadership role as well that they've taken on this fall to guide those, as you mentioned, seven new faces. Yeah, I, uh, so much there. But uh, yeah, mm -hmm. the three we brought back um, kind of are ones that I invested in, in, in the, you know, when I when I first came in. So they've been doing a great job. I mean, obviously, like Kayla Wilkins has really jumped up a level from when she first came here to when playing really one of our highest spots and doing very, very well and having a great summer. Um, been instrumental in leading the example of what we really want at the U of A. And so I think um, just the leadership role she's had um, you know, Kirsten's uh, hasn't played for a long time, but she's come in and she knows exactly kind of what we're looking for. Kim has come in and really been a great team player and understands like, hey, what this is what we're looking for. This is what we want. And we may not win the national championship this year, but they know where we're building and what we want and what we need. So, um, you know, we, I think we have a great chance to do very well. And I think those that leadership and also just bringing in key integral parts where we can have inner you know like we kind of lead by um community so each one has their own role of what they're supposed to be doing so i think that the ones that just return know their rules a lot better but the other ones are figuring it out and we have we have such an eclectic group of people it's a it's a great mix and match of you know how, how to how to lead from all kinds of categories of preparation motivation and inspiration um just just accountability leader like we just have small roles that we need to play and overall that's you know that makes a big difference when you have it in, in the details are we now at the point where every player on the roster was recruited by you and i'm curious what it feels because you know you start in 2018 and, and you know 2018 2019 season it's now what year four year three whatever it may be uh yeah the math here it's been a long day so you know cut me some slack with the math listeners but does it feel like you now have your hands on the arizona program Yes, yes, yes. These are my players, and I think that's that's the. It's a big difference when you have sure. that. I, I really appreciate everybody that I that I've had, but definitely, I think you know, moving forward, it's always nice to have the players that you really 
sought after and you got to your team. And I think that makes a big difference when they know that, hey, you know, I I believe in you, basically. You know, I brought you here for four years over every single other person we've recruited. So I think that makes a huge difference in your program. And it also just deep down for your, yourself as a coach, you're like, I believe in you. I'm never going to doubt you, you know, and I just need to keep pushing you for these four years and then hopefully you can have a career afterwards. But, um, but yeah, it makes it, it's, it's my team now and I'm very excited to see how we do. Yeah. Well, with that in mind, then let's talk about the fall you guys had and, you know, we'll start in singles and I want to start with a freshman in particular, Parker Fry puts together an eight and three fall and look she was a five-star recruit and you know it's the number 17 recruiting class in the country according to tennisrecruiting.net west off cue the applause sound effect um but you know what clicked for her so well this fall um i think she just wants to be out there she loves to compete she's one person that's super athletic any sport we pick up like she can play um i think she has a ton of talent she just hasn't been given her chance so i think her style of play also because her eight and three record actually is really good because we were working on a ton of different things. She's, she, you know, she's six, two, she can serve in volley. She can do all these things that we're making her do. So just to have that record is pretty incredible because in the fall, I don't look at a win loss record as the important thing. I've always been successful and that's where we implement a lot of our things in practice. And I want them to fail a little bit because then it matters in the spring. So to have an eight and three record with what Parker was doing is pretty incredible. Um, I don't look at their records, to be honest. You're going to surprise me with some of them, I'm sure, here (laughs) coming up. But it's more of the fact that she can win and do things that are completely against what she first came in doing as a junior player. Because it's the transition from junior to college is massive. And to make them deal with pressure and do crazy things, you know, if it's deuce and four all and they've never served in volley, I'm going to ask them to do that. I know they're going to lose the point 99% of the time. But it's just, are you willing to take those chances? So her record is actually really, really incredible for um, what she was learning so i didn't actually know that was her record. Mm-hmm. and you know that's good and so then i won't get too specific with the records here but you look you know I, I think you guys played a hidden duel early in the fall uh early in the fall or maybe it was the arizona ita match i'm not sure what that symbolizes but it's a match so we count it um but you know baylor invite troy invitational regionals you look overall for your team and you just mentioned it there and i think that's a fascinating little nugget you want to put them in adverse situations you want to see them fail in the fall tell me why the 37 43 overall record for the team in singles this fall is actually a good thing i like this spin um just because they've learned so much like we're going to take much more from our losses than our wins i could mm-hmm. i could go tell them we're going to go play some of these opens that are easy and go win a lot of matches especially as freshmen and say hey we're going to build your confidence up <laughs> but i tell them we're going to go play the toughest teams in the country i mean you look at that schedule Baylor, you know, one of the top teams, USC, those, I mean, we went nowhere where we should have dominated. We went to places where we're going to play the best. And I told them that, you know, we played a lot of ranked kids. A couple of like our transfers that came in said they had a chance to play one ranked kid. I think they played four. So it's like, you know, you get these chances, opportunities, which we need to have now and learn from them. So then over this, especially this break is super important, like knowing exactly what you need to work on and how to get better so i I think we take a lot more from our losses and that's if we do we do it that way then we're going to be ready in the spring and we're going to be ready to conquer a lot of um, obstacles in our way if we don't we just take the losses and dwell on them then we're not so the goal is every year i've been somewhere in my fourth year we've always done really really well in the top 25 because 
we usually learn from our losses. So that's where I think this group is going. And we're, you know, we're very young, but we have a lot of ability. Yeah, I love to hear that. Well, I want to congratulate you again. You don't know it, but you've set a record. 32 doubles teams this fall. Bravo, my friend. That is just impressive. And I know you have seven freshmen, and obviously you're trying to—or seven newcomers. You're trying to work in all these new faces. It's worth noting only one team played more than two matches together. So clearly you were doing some experimentation. But 32 teams is impressive, Coach. Give me the logic. I did not know that. That's pretty impressive. Thanks for asking <laughs> that, that, that knowledge on me. Um, basically, the, the knowledge was— we only have three kids that have returned that know my system for doubles. So okay. everyone's going to play with one of them at least once. And so we, like a Baylor invite, we said, you're going to play with somebody different. And we only actually had a week of practice before then because okay. officials didn't start. So it was just kind of, this person is going to help guide you and teach you. And so we switched every single time. And then every tournament, it just happened to play with somebody different to see what we like because it's so different. And, and like I said, um, it's basically just learning this learning time. So I always tell people it's not, you're going to fit into the system. Either you can play with anybody and you could be a great doubles player. If you can only play with one person, you're not a good doubles player. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, if, if you can play with 10 people and that's not the goal, you know, we didn't expect to have that many teams, but if you can play with 10 people and, and win, then you're a great doubles player because then you're learning how to communicate with different people. I think it helps us too with our culture and, and how diverse you are across the world, like learning what this person's thinking on the court. Because if you don't play doubles with them, you really don't know most of the time. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to pivot here and say you just missed out on the experimentation last season. You're like, look, you got to give me some sort of fun exercise in the fall here, right? And so I know that, but that makes complete sense. And you talk about that system. And, you know, I, I said I wanted to bounce some big picture ideas off you, but I suppose we'll geek out here first. Um, you know, looking at double systems over the year, and obviously men's, women's tennis have always been different, but it does feel feel like theater there has been a de-emphasis on the serve and volley as a tactic in doubles i'm curious if you felt that de-emphasis obviously your time in college tennis dates back to you as a player and various stops along the way is there something to that theory i mean i think i was one of the last serve and volleyers in college tennis <laughs> so you know i got to play with some of the great ones like john isner and all those guys having anna kevin anderson but um you know i can handle my own because i was different that way and mm -hmm. i think I think you can. I think we, we added in our, I have a couple of girls that can really do it. And I think that's the fall experimentation again. It's like, sure. I want to see if they're, if they're first athletic and willing to do it. And then second, how can we develop it? So I probably have three girls that I'll probably ask to serve in volley quite a bit. Another ones might just be for a surprise every now and then, but you kind of develop that. And that's, I think it's a huge, huge bonus. If you can volley and be at the net and take away time and doubles, you should. Mm -hmm. And you talk about implementing your system. We've now hit the portion of the year, obviously, where you know we're at the eight-hour rule, and you only have so many. You know, the fact that they do this right before the season starts, like, yeah, let's definitely have a dead period before we get to competition. That oh, makes we're, not, sense. we're not even at the eight period now. We're at uh, we're at nothing because you get the week before finals. We're at. You can't see the players. You can't talk to players. We got that month going on. And so with that said, and obviously you're a former player yourself, so you can speak to this perspective. Finding a student-athlete balance is crucial for any athlete. No denying that. That said, given the modern demands of tennis, is it time to reconsider the eight-hour rule? How frequently are you put in a position where someone says, Coach, I'd like to work with you, and you'd say, Sorry, you've hit your four? Uh we should have that all the time yeah. we've recruited right right yeah. so i mean yeah i have that right now they are all devastated i mean it's kind of like 
The NCA just added election day. Sure you heard of that? <laughs> yeah. So it's like you have the right to vote. You have the right to do anything, but you can't play your sport. And it's like you know, we also have a lot of kids that aren't from our country, and they can't vote on this. Or we had a city election, and it was like none of our players are from Arizona at this time, so nobody could vote, but they couldn't play. And so it makes a difference. I think these kids um, should have the right to say, "Hey, I really want to play, and I really want to get better." And so we have kids that really are yearning for that growth, but we kind of have to put a stop to it. So yes, I think our kids are all the time asking. I mean, I had I have them reiterate the rule, like, "Are you sure I can't hit with you this week?" After I just explained the rule, you know, like I I, I want to <laughs> come, but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely stunts their growth a little bit. It also gives them a chance to work as a team, but at the same time, as you know, as the leaders of these programs, we're not allowed to even deal with any of the issues they're having. So it, it kind of it can take a big, big step forward, or it can take a big step backwards, and that's that's the hard part with coaches. Is you you kind of um, you want to help, but we're we're not allowed to at the, at this time. Which is absurd to me because you go to college to get coached by the coach you have picked to play for, and to me, like I know this might sound very in the weeds and stupid, but. I bet your players know the Arizona compliance officer so much better than you knew who your compliance officer was back in the day. And it's just like you would think in the modern era, right, a compliance officer could make a legitimate ruling like, no, this is voluntary. No, this is not, right? Like I feel like there is an easy fix here. Yeah, actually, you just blew my mind because I was just trying to think in my mind. I don't even know where the compliance office was. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I couldn't even tell you where a compliance officer or where it actually was located. Um, yeah, they know him for sure better. But I mean, the hard part is you have somebody that takes advantage of the system. And so it's the same thing. Like the NCA has to deal with that because, you know, there's going to be some, there's going to be one or two coaches that are going to do too much and going to hurt the kids. And it's not going to be experience that they want. And those are the people that really hurt that hurt the ones that really want to get better and so there's a balance so i I, i'm just trying to see the opposite side of why they've done it and i know because i've been in this game this is my 15th year of coaching and you know there's people that take advantage of any situation so you have to find that balance i think that's the hardest part is we have probably 98 percent of the coaches that would do it right but then you have two percent that won't and those are the people that are going to make the headlines unfortunately in our sport because we're not in espn we're not on tv you know so if you if you read about college tennis, it's it's usually not a good thing if you watch the ESPN or highlight or something, you know, like that. Like if you're going to do a team robbery bank or something, then you'll make the you know then you'll make the make the uh, ESPN. But if you're not going to do that, you it's really highly unlikely that you can you know you, that you're going to be on any national thing if you've done something great because national champions aren't even on TV anymore. Sadly, if you if the Arizona women's tennis team is doing a heist, who's the car driver? Who's getting the way driver? Who do you want in that wheel? Oh, man, I, I would trust myself. More than <laughs> I'm a driver. I have to drive the team everywhere. So, yeah. you know, part of my uh, it's part of my job is to drive. So that's good. Get my license. I like it. I like it. That's good. And no, you say 15 years. I don't believe it. I refuse to believe it's already at that point for you in your coaching tenure. But, you know, you, obviously talking to all of these coaches, they talk about the fall and the point of the fall is development. And I'm curious and I've been asking because, you know, there is a lot of confusion regarding the NCA or the ITA fall and we can get into the nitty gritty here. But in terms of development, 
is the in, are the individual run tournaments the best way to foster that development? We've seen a lot of schools. It feels like the trend of late playing hidden duels. I wonder if that's a trend we might see continue to emerge more, where more teams elect to play hidden duels as opposed to using their competitive dates on the individual events. I think it depends on what you're trying to develop. Okay. So if you're trying to develop like a pro athlete, I don't think it's the best way because. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually have had coached one, Mayar uh, Sharif Ahmed. I think she's 64 in the world right now. She played for me at Fresno State. And so, um, you know, like with somebody like that that wants to be a pro, I think you've got to play individual tournaments because you're not going to be playing any kind of dual matches or anything like that. If you're developing them for the college game, then it might be better to do the dual match so they can be prepared for what's to come because if you haven't played one, you don't really know. But if you want to develop them for the pros, winner moves on, loser's out. Like you've got to be used to that kind of thing once you get to the pro level, because as as you've heard from a lot of the pros, like in college they'll win a ton. In the pros, you lose every week, mm-hmm. so you've got to get used to learning how to bounce back from a loss real quick. Because in college, if you're one of the best, you're going to dominate, and you're only going to lose a few matches here and there. In the pros, you might win one tournament a year, and you're doing your a success. You know, so I think it's better. It depends on what you're trying to develop. Mm-hmm. And, and what are you guys trying to develop at Arizona? I want to develop pros. I want kids sure. that want to go play and, you know, and want to go make a living. And if they can, I want to push them to their limits. And I think, you know, we're, we've always developed pros in every sport and tennis. We've had a few grand slam people that have played in the grand slams, but I think I want to get more people. That's, I mean, I've, I've coached pros on the side for years. And I think that's something that's just a cool thing to do. If, if they want to live that lifestyle, it's a hard lifestyle. I always tell them that's one of the hardest things. Um, you know, if you want to travel every five days and kind of lose track of family and friends, and but you're okay with just being a tennis person on the road for years and years and years, go for it. Like I have a couple of girls now that have, are really determined to do that, and I want to push them, and I think that's the best path for them. So that that's who I want to develop just because I want to see their love for tennis keep going. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the one cool thing about my program is everyone still likes tennis after the last 15 years of coaching. Every single person has stuck in tennis not necessarily coaching or anything, but it's still continue to play a little bit. Mm-hmm. No, that that's super, super cool to hear. And, you know, again, looking big picture here, and I, I told you I would, would throw some questions like this at you, in terms of recruiting that sort of player and molding your roster, because, of course, you're trying to develop pros, but you're a head coach. You're trying to get victories as well. When you are shaping your roster, I know it's it's pronounced right now because five years of graduates due to the COVID extra year of eligibility, but how do you balance you know, bringing in the number 17 class, recruiting five freshmen onto your team versus knowing, hey, I can go find a, a Lexi Ringler out there who I know can contribute to my team right away. How do you balance you know, bringing in the freshmen versus the plethora of options on the transfer portal? I think it was bringing the best for your program, the best fit. So you got to know who you are, what you represent, what you like. Because when I look at the program, I have to deal with them for four years. I always tell them I'm dealing with them for 20 because I've, you know, I've always had a close relationship with them. And, you know, afterwards, I hope they use me as for some kind of mentorship and, you know, involved in their life somehow. And that's been a really cool thing for me is to see, like, I've been a lot of weddings. You know, I've had a couple of girls the after their family the second call is to me that they're having a kid like it's been really cool that way so i always want to look for the person that i really want to be involved in and i like to go look at their parents and go see see how they behave after a loss and i think i think that matters more than anything else so just just the personality behind the person and what you're looking for like 
I really like, like I said, I, I want fun people to be around. I, I think life is short and you got to enjoy every time. So if there's a trash talker, I'm probably recruiting them. You know, <laughs> I like that kind of thing. I want them to have, I want them to have the relationship where we can talk trash the whole time. And so I, I try to find the niche of that. And to me, I don't really care if it's a grad transfer or a freshman. I'd like to have the perfect balance, but as you've probably seen, I brought seven in in one time. I can't bring in too many anymore. So it's kind of like I found the right kids for my fit. And I think we've done a great job there where the, the balance is really good and the team, you know, the biggest problems are very, very small. So that makes a huge difference with culture when you're when you're just building something and then they know what we're building towards. Mm-hmm. No, and again, looking at the roster this year, you've got a couple of returners, some veterans, but a lot of new faces. And, you know, with that in mind, you know, you're going to Vegas for a weekend of really fun action. And you've got, you know, at Michigan State on the schedule, you've got Rice snuck in there at the end. You're playing the Blue Gray Classic, which I think is probably the hidden gem on the tennis calendar, but we can, that's, a, I suppose, a different topic. You know, what led to the scheduling this year? And, you know, what leads to you playing these teams, putting your team in this position? Once again, just challenges. I think, you know, we need, we're playing tons of good teams. I want to have one of the hardest schedules. And I think next year it's even going to be harder. And it's just, we want to build. And I think people know that Arizona is going to be good now. And so I think that's one of the cool part is I'm not getting, you know, I'm getting ranked teams calling and wanting to play us, which when I first got here, I was just trying to get matches for the first couple of years, you know, and now, now we've built something and we have the roster where the, all the coaches know, Hey, he's going to be ranked. It's going to be real worth it to play us. So I think it's really cool. And then what Clancy's done with the men's program really helps us, I think. And just, you know, our overall athletics, obviously kicking butt every, in almost every sport really helps and knowing that we can build to that, that, that level. That's why I came back here anyway. I think we can be very, very good. With that in mind, would you like to see the 500 rule waived permanently so that you can always schedule with no burden of that rule hanging over your head? Yeah, I think that's a huge thing. And I think that's the that's going to kill the sport even more when like the SEC grows because they're not going to want to play anybody outside the conference ever because they already have, like I think, 13 matches or something. So it's just going to be tough because they have seven, eight dates maybe. So they're not going to want to play anybody outside of it. So it's going to be very, very difficult to schedule. So that's that's shouldn't shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter how you, if you win because you still got to win those matches. And if you lose a lot, it's going to go against you anyway. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And with that theme in mind, I want to talk some rules with you. Obviously, rankings just come out, final rankings of the year, December. I don't know how much value people put in them. My suggestion would be, would you like to see college tennis move to a 12-month rolling ranking system? You know, college, you know, tennis is a 52-week-a-year sport. And I do think, like, these December rankings, which are a snapshot of three months of play and don't include Emma Navarro and don't include Liam Draxel, like, how much credence can you really put in them to me 12 month rolling rankings is the way to go hmm. i never even thought about that one so no that's give me a second to think about it um no i mean i think everything should be taken into consideration i think it's also an incentive to have the kids play in the summer a little bit yeah. so i i like that especially if you want to build the summer circuit and things like that i think it's a good way to do it so yeah i definitely agree because you know the rankings are especially crazy in the beginning of the year you always kind of tell the kids like you know, when that comes out, you're like, I don't know, because we only have some of our top players only played one tournament. So are they going to get ranked? Absolutely not. But, you know, like, should they be ranked? Maybe. And when you look at the rankings. And so it, it, it's tough. It's a tough system. And I, I it's hard to hard to balance. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, 
I, I do think part well, I guess, again, part of it would be, would you factor in things like UTR pro results or should college tennis rankings be a reflection of just college tennis? Hmm. Um, I think the you more can tell I have too much time on my hands. Yeah. The more information you have, the better. So that's why I like the 12 month thing you're saying. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I think the one thing, even though I've, you know, I've had, you know, I have a girl that's very successful on the pro tour. I was never, you know, I was never worried about, um, I was worried about developing them. So I think we put too much pro emphasis on these kids and we ought to understand they're amateurs first and, you know, your student athletes. So if they become a pro, that's terrific, but I think that they should be playing college events because we're also dwindling down our product a lot of the times. And so I, I think that's a hard thing to balance, but they should be, if they really want to play it, they're going to play it on their own. I mean, I have girls that, you know, that we can go take it to three, but if they really want to be pros, they're going to have to play more anyway on their own because we're only allowed a certain amount of dates. So my thing is, is I think we, we want to develop them and, and not put so much emphasis on the pro that's a couple of players that's it the rest of them you know all the other ones kind of get left behind in those kind of rules a little bit no i think that's completely fair and again it's why i like to ask about these sorts of things you know with that said ncaa individual tournament would you move it to the fall that's tough question again like you said (laughs) where we're going with um some of the some of the people that might be the best in college, they wouldn't even be a part of it. Mm-hmm. So it depends if you like you're getting the U.S. Open wild card or not too. So that's a that's a difference maker. Um, I think that at the end it should be about team. So I'm not opposed to it, but I think you got to find a way to make it work. Maybe the summer thing is a good idea, but I, I yeah I don't I, I personally think it's a really long time and and we've emphasized team 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 and then all of a sudden it's. You know, it's all about this one person on the team. And I, I don't like that as much. I want to emphasize the team. That's why college tennis is what it is and what we need to kind of focus on because that's what makes us is we are six courses at the same time, three doubles. It's such a cool environment when the fans come out and make it that way. So I think that's the one product that we need to keep emphasizing the most. Yeah, For me, it would be just throwing the NCAA individual tournament that second week of the U.S. Open. And obviously that takes buy-in from the U.S. Open. But I don't think there's a problem with the college tennis product. Like I am fundamentally for the way the game looks. You're right. I think a dual match is so exciting. I think the 40 minutes of the doubles point is as good as it gets across levels in tennis. To me, it's a marketing thing. And just the idea to provide college tennis a platform second week of the U.S. Open, obviously a lot of people need to say yes. And logistically, would an athletic department sponsor a senior to come back to play one event the September after they graduate? Probably not for most of them. But that said, like if we're looking for opportunities for growth, you know, short of that, I, like, I, to me, that would be the reason to do it, I guess. Yeah, and I think the one thing with tennis that's super hard to market is just the fact that it is so many courts. Yeah. So I think that's the hard thing is to figure that out, and that's one thing I was actually told by a couple of um, higher ups at some of these like Tennis Channel and some others is like the hard part is the space. Yeah. Like, how do you film six matches at the same time where people can be involved in watching all this? And so that's where I think the ingen- ingenuity needs to be kind of. Uh, figured out and how we can do that because now we have so much technology maybe we can figure that out or maybe we need do need to condense it i mean the thing with you'll see everywhere is the doubles is so exciting like you can fill up the stands with doubles but then once doubles is over it's kind of like 
hmm, like they don't, it doesn't matter where we go or we're at home, like it's not quite as full. Like people that just come to watch the doubles and that's actually the most exciting part. I think tennis overall can do a better job marketing doubles and the pros too, obviously, because people don't even know the number one in the world is half the time. Yeah. Um, like I have a buddy who's, I think he was seven in the world. We walk around and nobody knew he was. <laughs> and it's like, he's in the French Open finals. Like how, how crazy is that, you know? Um, so I, I think we can market a little bit differently or we can figure out how to make it work. And I think that's the hardest part that we've always had. And I think everyone has different opinions. So it's, it's really tough because you're probably talking to lots of people and everyone thinks differently. So, you know, I, I'm not an, I'm an advocate for simultaneous too. I think it'd be great because you're not stopping and starting something different. I think you're just continuing, especially with now with society and how quickly things move and how people don't want to sit still for much longer. It shortens the game and it makes people probably stay in the stands for a little bit longer. You beat me to the question. I will ask though, is the person in that story, French Open uh, finalist, is this Michael Venus we're talking about? Is he the friend in this story? No, no, not quite. Different fan. Okay, I was like, I was going through. I was like, who's made a French Open final? I'm like going through. I was at the airport last year, and it's 7:30 in the morning, and I just happened to be on the same connecting flight to Atlanta as Bobby Reynolds, and you could just tell Bobby was in not the mood to chat. Just you know, right after the doubles final, did it hit his racket? Did it hit his body? Who knows? Um, but it, it was just. I was like, why is no one mobbing him? I was like, this is Bobby Reynolds walking through the airport, and I was just saying, I was like, don't say anything. Just let him do his thing. <laughs> and thankfully, I did. But no, to your point, and you beat me to it. I think the future is simultaneous start. Like I, I do think – and I, I don't think it compromises the development. Now, I love the emphasis on doubles and you know, whenever you talk about a format change, to me, that's the question is does it compromise development? I don't think simultaneous does. No, I mean I don't think so either because they all – I mean the thing with it, if somebody – the cream of the crop always rises as well. Yes. Thought. So in doubles, they always talk about this change to A-game pro set to set – I mean, there's so many professionals that played college that it really doesn't matter the format. It's not the same as the pros at all. You know, where singles can be, I mean, you play a 10-point tiebreaker, but we also play the third set, and we haven't had as much, you know, professionals as we have had in doubles. And it's kind of funny because doubles, we take away a lot of time, and we don't we don't play as much, but somehow we're prevent, we're we're producing so many professionals. Yeah. I don't even know the number. You probably have, I mean, you have much better idea, but I know every Four time. Four women, I... 12 men in singles are in the top 100. It's double digits by a lot in doubles. Yeah. And so that's the thing is I think the cream always rises to the top and maybe that's a different kind of pressure that actually helps them. You know, pressure is what makes champions. So it's still there. You're still mm-hmm. competing for your team. You Like maybe we figure out a system where it's like baseball where we have to manage. They can't play doubles either and they have to play singles and you have to rotate. There'll be a lot more upsets in tennis. Or you can figure out, hey, I need to recruit a double specialist and you can come play singles for me instead of go to this number one play on the team in the country. We're going to play doubles. You play singles. So it'd be a whole different element for, I mean, for coaches, it'd be a lot, but it would be, I think it'd be a fun, fun atmosphere. It would make our sport more popular. And I think, you know, it's something we could sell. So I think it's in the future too. And I just don't know how long I know I've been talking about it for a long time. And I don't know if it'll, when it'll get there, but I think it, I think it should and eventually will. Brad Dancer suggested cumulative scoring where just every game counts at the end and it's the team that wins the most games at the, you know, that's what they do in world team tennis. And I was like, huh. I just, I, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, that's an interesting one to think about. And, you know, again, sometimes it does get a little gimmicky. 
But I feel like substitutions would be really fun. And you talk about, you know, seven newcomers. I'm sure you would love to play all of them in as many matches as humanly possible. Would you be fine with soccer substitutions? I don't even think soccer. I think you should be able to sub all the time. Like, so we do this thing called the um, red blue with Clancy and the men's team. We play mixed doubles and we sub anytime we want. Like okay. on my team, I'm brutal. So if you lose the miss <laughs> or out, Clancy will give them a little more leeway. But you know, we have fun and we have a big crowd that shows up for this every year. Okay. And we are going to have another one in January and it's a huge thing. And it's really fun because you can sub any sing- single person. And you know, with tennis, it's such a lonely and you're on an Island, you're having a bad day. People just see that breakdown. So why can't you substitute? We have, you know, we have the players on the team. We should be allowed to figure that out and substitute because I think it would be great for the sport to be like, hey, you know, I might go in now or I might, you know, you can be team players. You don't have to be individualized so much. Um, and then, and the, as you said, like, I don't know if it's cumulative scoring or just playing doubles and singles at the same time, because if you play doubles, they're going to watch the singles to finish it out. If you just go, three two format or four one like i don't know how you do it but either way it's less space too that they have to watch so you, you're covering more you're covering less ground so you get a more for your more for your money i guess it's not usually cost money but more for your buck and then also yeah. you can you know you can follow more you don't have you're going to be able to see a lot more going on at the same time i swear people would probably watch doubles and then they go to singles after it's done and just finish the match yeah, no, I you said it perfectly. There's almost a permission structure in that lull between singles and du- uh, and doubles where you're like, hey, go ahead and leave. Like you might as well. And there's not enough pizza in the world to be fed to all of these people to keep them all staying. That said, I this is a wild idea. And again, at Ryan Stotland. Well, I don't know if that's his at his Twitter handle, but direct all of these to him, all of our Crack Rockets listeners, if you like this idea. When you guys play that mixed doubles event just shoot a call my way like we should be streaming that that is the sort of event i think college tennis fans would love to see and if we could get you and coach clancy you know mic'd up and we'll have to say no cursing or maybe yes cursing but viewer beware like that's the sort of fun engagement and i'm sure the arizona tennis community you talk about fans coming out for it like aren't those the bread and butter events where we talk about marketing the sport versus changing the product that to me like those sorts of things are the key yeah, no, I, I mean, it's a great event. It's something we came up with when I first got out of Clancy Forever, and it's, it's it's fun. Like, the kids actually look forward to it the most. We just did it on grass courts up in um, Scottsdale. It was a great turnout. People are just asking us, you know, that was so much fun, and they, they sit around and they watch and they cheer. You know, we got red versus blue, and they pick a team. And, um, you know, we do it all the time whenever we can, and, and we're going to have it probably in January again, beginning of January. So we'll send you it. Hopefully we have some fans watching it. Um, you know, but it would be great. And I think those are the things and just getting our name out there is, you know, mm-hmm. tennis is, I think we just did a, um, a great thing for inner city kids where yeah. tennis is expensive. So that's the one hard part about it is we brought all these kids in and one of the girls on the team donated two of her rackets to two of the kids that really had some trouble. Like, so they get to come see it. And, you know, if you can get kids in this college, I think the biggest thing is you get kids that are really loud that have a lot of fun at these events people will come and so i think the college the college venue needs to be sought after too if you can get the college kids in you're set like when i was in new mexico we had a men's soccer team that was always in the final four and men's soccer isn't very popular but you went to those games it was hard to get a ticket some of the games we couldn't even we had to sit outside the fence and it was you know it's just built because the college kids all wanted to be there and so you can promote that atmosphere 
we're going to get fans in the stands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, one other thing I would suggest, let's get rid of the coin toss. We can do better. One point, start of the match, drop and hit, head coach versus head coach, winner chooses the serving arrangements. Nice. I thought you were thinking like ping pong, where you do ping pong, it's on, and just start the point, huh? <laughs> That's good too, right? <laughs> yeah, that works. At, that works at a different level, but yeah, I don't know if all the head coaches play anymore. So yeah, that's know. the problem. If you're over fifty, you're allowed to sub out. But I just want to see the chipping and charging. Can any of you still make passing shots? That is the question on all of our minds. And well, I'm so, calling if I get. If I get a chance to serve, I'm serving the volley. Yeah, I like it. Well, with that said, again, some trash talk down the home stretch. Better looking Shields brother, Luke or Clancy? Ooh, man. I'm going to have to say Luke because Clancy's already married, so I need to. <laughs> yeah, that's a good yeah, that's a good bailout answer. I'm, I'm just curious. Obviously, Fresno State, I know this is more serious, but you know, Fresno State is a program that has seen so many fantastic coaches. Brad Dancer was there. Peter Smith was there. You can go on and on and on. How bummed out was it for you to see them cancel the men's program? It's a it was a disaster. I mean, I, I obviously I was even able to work there before I I was able to help hire Luke on board, and so I worked with the men for a whole fall semester when I worked with both teams. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's just a storied program. Like even when I was just selling the women's, but I sold the men's to some kids, and then like Peter Luksak, you get to see who's top fifty in the world. You, you know, you get to see some of these names. Um, Robert Lindstedt that played there and you're just you see this program that's been a storied history and something that the fans really love like I was the community was great there and they really supported tennis and it's just uh, it was heartbreaking to see because I knew a lot of the kids on the team that I actually had worked with as well and just to see you know all the hard work kind of be there but now nobody's going to remember it and so I think that's the hardest part is seeing that and then somebody as great as a coach as Luke who would find his way, but he was developing something special there. And it was, it, it took them a lot of years to get to where they were. Yeah, no, it's a hundred percent. It's such a bummer to see. And, you know, to your point, again, it's a storied program now, you know, again, with that said, give me a Meyer Sharif story. Did you know when she comes to campus that she had top 100 in her? Um, not really. I, <laughs> I knew she had the drive and I knew that she could get there. It's always, you know, there's some breaks in there and, um, no, because her first year she was uh, she wasn't even be able to play number one on our team, but she was willing to work her butt off. And I think that team, you know, we had a team that was I think top twenty, and so she came in and they were pushing her. And so her competition level, she just had the drive where she would lose and she would just be like, I want to go again, yeah. I want to go again. And so it was just something that you could see that she could have the potential and she had the strength and she was willing to learn. Like I, I she was, I'll. She wanted to learn how to volley. She wanted to learn how to hit kick serves. Like we developed whatever we could in the short amount of time we had. And she was willing to go do it extra on her own. And that's, that's why I always tell everybody, you know, I'm like, I've had some good players, but she was just out there, you know, she's 6 a.m. If, if she needed to throw the medicine ball, she'd do that. So she just has this drive. And I actually talked to her the other week and she was just like, you know, I'm 60, whatever in the world. And I'm just getting started. Like I'm just learning how to, how to be better. And so I think that was the cool thing was seeing somebody with that kind of drive and that motivation where you knew she had it in her, but she never, she was relentless. And so that's where the, that's where I talk about, like, I've been able, I'm fortunate to see the amateur side of college athletics and the pro side. And so we have, you know, there's always going to be a lot more amateurs than there are pros. And so it's just, we should cater, even though I had her, you know, we didn't cater to her. 
we made her tougher and she didn't get to play one. And actually it's kind of a funny story because we actually played somebody and um, I had Sophie on our team who was, uh, I think she won 28 matches in a row because Meyer was pushing her to be better. And so I put her at one in one of the matches that we were supposed to win easy because I was, you know, and the coach said, there's no way you're playing Meyer Sharif at one. And so <laughs> yeah. they had an argument and I was like, she's pretty good. Like I, I was like, I'm not trying to stack. I'm just telling you like, she's a really good player. And they refused. They were they were about to call in. I was like, okay, I will put I will put her in two. And so it's kind of a funny story I've always had with her. Is like they wouldn't even let you play one. Like, yeah. they wouldn't let you play one on our team. So it's kind of funny. But she she definitely worked hard, and we got to make national indoors. And she got to conquer a lot of her demons that you know when she came in as a junior player, she wasn't doing as aggressive. And you can see her game keep developing. It's really fun to be a part of and see. And I think even the Fresno community. You know, they contact me all the time, like, oh, I got to see my R at Wimbledon. I got to see her doing the second round here. So it's really cool because that that's that uh, we talked about that storied franchise and her name's on the board with her sister because they became all Americans, things like that for me. So, um, you know, I never want you never want to see a program go anyway. You just want to see tennis grow. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what we're trying to do. And somebody with like my R should be able to show, hey, she can come into Fresno when there's power five coaches that are wanting this girl and she's willing to come down here and play for a school like this and change change the program it's really cool yeah no that's awesome to hear all right if you could re-coach any match from your career what would you pick Whew, there's that, always one one of the biggest ones is actually when i was an assistant okay. um we were playing north carolina and it was to go to the sweet 16 mm -hmm. and it was um sarah landsman was playing number four against Price, who's probably one of the best players in the country. And she lost, I think, like 12, 10, 11, 9 in the third set breaker. And we felt like we got a team to go to Sweet 16 because we had one easy at one and two, I believe. And um, we we're at three. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but that was one where it was like, because North Carolina is obviously a very good program. And I think they got to the final four after that. And we were kind of the same level. And then they just turned up their program before I had left. And so that was one where I, I think if we would have, um, done that we could have done some real damage in the tournament and that would have been really fun even though as an assistant as a head coach you know some of the conference championships we lost where we should have won mm -hmm. um kind of thing i mean we won five out of six but the ones like the tournament in the finals where we lost like seven six six seven seven six we could have won that match like you know two points is tough Mm -hmm. No, I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm sure there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, again, some of these other fun things in mind and you have had, you know, such a great college tennis coaching career is uh, is the biggest change in college tennis. The depth now, you know, does the team that's ranked number 40 in 2022 just absolutely slaughter 1999's 40th ranked team? Yeah, I think that's one of the coolest parts is mm -hmm. like some teams can beat other teams now where if you pick the number one, two, three, four, it was beating every level was a, you know, it was, it was a hierarchy. Like yeah. you're playing Stanford, you got no shot, yeah. you know, like, I mean, I had to, I had one of my teammates, her sister was on Stanford. She had five national titles <laughs> rings on her hand that she didn't even play. And she was like 40 in the country. So, you know, the, the depth has definitely gone better and it's, it's balanced out. So it's fun because there's a, there's a chance you can always beat somebody, you know? And so I think that's made it really, really much more fun to see instead of just the dominant program. I think everybody's got a shot to win, as you can see this this every year, basically. You can't predict it. If you gave me the, the draw sheet for the NCAA draw, I could have told you I would have gotten everything right now. And actually, I, it's hard. Like, it's not, it's not quite the same. I think that's the one thing, though, that you can also level off is I get that the top 16 get a host, 
but it makes it so much harder to get to that sweet 16 spot, you know? So like with our men's program going to Kentucky, that's just, that's a awesome win, but that's just so difficult. So I don't, I don't know how we make that, but you know, maybe Orlando's our home, but if we can build it bigger and bigger as for the, like Nona, but we need to find that, that Omaha that, that these, you know, the, these other programs have. Yeah. Now, of course, Coach Shields had to knock off my Wolverines. That was not enjoyable. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's an excellent point. I love the way you said it. All right, last two for you. Should the NCAA champ get a wild card regardless of nationality? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think they at least deserve qualif- qualif- qualities, at least to prove themselves. I mean, getting to that level, I think a lot of players lose incentives. I mean, like I like we talked about my R. It was kind of like I, she really wanted to win it, but what's the incentive to win it, you know? Sure. So it would definitely make the tournament a lot better, I think, because I even had teammates that on mine that made – and they were like, I want to go home. Like, <laughs> what's the point, you know? Like, I did everything for my team. And so I think it would make the tournament a lot better. As far as the growth, it depends what the USTA really wants to do. I mean, I get, I get where they're coming from, but I think they at least deserve to be in the qualification if – they win it because it's just a high level adding to that level is some should be incentive for kind of everyone i hope yeah no more than anything it would just be nice to have a representative of college tennis right it would just be nice to have someone out there you know putting the sport uh as a show or we could just play the whole individuals that week that works for me as well all right my final question for you because too many parents too many players too many people around the country college tennis fans have yet to hear your voice give me the pitch why should I come down to Arizona? Why should I be a Wildcat moving forward? Oh, wow. Um, well, you should be a Wildcat fan, first of all, because <laughs> uh, you know, I think we do everything right. Um, I'm not one to uh, you know, hype up everybody. I just want to go to the – go do my work. I try to let my team be in the spotlight, and they're the ones, they're the ones that are doing it. So we're just, you know, we're just working, and we kind of um, – as Clancy probably may have told you, like we're working – blue collar like we want we might not get the best players but we're going to get the best people and we're going to turn them into something so i think when you look at the program and see who we're getting and see what we're developing just as far as people and doing like great things for society i think that's what you're going to see come out of us as they come out of pros or if they come out and they just do the regular thing you're going to see somebody that's improving in life over and over and over again because we'll push them so i think that's the one selling point is you know we're more of a family than most teams i would say so you know people pitch family but when you really look at our teams even in the past my teams meet at wimbledon every year whenever they had wimbledon and i think that's one of the coolest things is it doesn't stop so arizona you know and then the program's just going to keep going. You're going to be here for four years, but you're going to be a part of this program for the rest of your life, and you're going to have something special. Yeah, no, and, you know, I think, and I'm not just blowing smoke, you know, we've already made it through the interview. Um, I think that is something college tennis fans have noticed is there is an energy to Arizona tennis right now, whether it's you, whether it's Clancy, what you guys, that energy and that culture you guys have instilled on your team, it's it's very palpable. And I, it's just there's an excitement to it, and that's the energy that I think makes college tennis so special. So, Coach, sincerely appreciative that you took the time to chat today, wishing you and your team safety, success, health throughout the course of the 2022 season and of course happy holidays to you and yours well thank you for having me happy holidays thanks for the time i appreciate it uh, you guys are doing great work so uh, we're following along we appreciate you guys coming up and doing big things like this so thank you i appreciate it be safe coach all right you too happy holidays 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 